0: <laughs> Thank you. I got my contacts on the night so 426. All right. <laughs> I do need a new prescription. <laughs> Let's turn in the Bible to John 13. John 13. I've, I just uh, have been burdened to stay in John 13 and go to the next passage. I don't know why. But for some reason, this is the burden on my heart and the Lord knows. He knows his church and he knows the needs, and really, truly, uh, anywhere that we preach from the scriptures, there's going to be the Word of God preached and the Church of God helped. I mean, it's the Word of God. When I've come to, to preach here at Lighthouse Baptist Church, since Brother Byler invited me, this has been my, my goal and my prayer, and the Midcoast Baptist Church knows this. I come here to help Lighthouse Baptist Church. But really, primarily, I help Lighthouse Baptist Church by helping Pastor Byler. I come here to preach the Word of God at his invitation. He is the man God has placed here to primarily edify, build up, strengthen the church of the living God. And as he builds up the church by the Word of the Lord and the power of the Lord, for the glory of the Lord, by the grace of the Lord, amen, as he does that, then you, the church, are perfected for the ministry, and so the body is edifying itself from the head, the Lord Jesus Christ, through His Word, His Holy Spirit, the pastor who is held in His right hand, the pastor who is called the Lord's angel in the church, the angel of the church, who is a star in the, in the Lord's hand. Your pastor is a star, did you know that? Do you, you know that stars give direction? I mean, for all these thousands of years, people have been able to look up at a star. Now, I don't mean, like, look at the stars and figure out who to marry and whether or not it's a good day to, uh, you know, to play the lottery or something. God forbid that. The Bible warns very clearly about that. But we can see north, south, east, west, and the movements, and they're they're very, uh, well, they're like clockwork. They're actually a lot better than clockwork. Actually, a lot better than that. And so the stars, they give direction, They and they show direction, and the word that you would use about the movements of the stars by the hand of God, they're consistent. Isn't that right? And you have a pastor who's consistent. Stars give direction. Stars give off light. And the man of God takes the Word of God, and then he lives the Word of God, and there's light. There's there's a direction there, and there's a light shown on life, and you can see how you ought to go, what you ought to believe, really even how you ought to think. And some people... Our human nature is, I don't want anybody telling me how to think, but that's really all about the Bible right there. And the Bible's all about how to think. These are God's thoughts. Sent down from heaven, we couldn't climb halfway up and get them. They've got to come down, Isaiah 55 says, like the snow and the rain out of heaven. You don't go halfway up to get the rain. You don't go up to get the snow. It comes all the way down. That's what we need it to do. God sends His Word all the way down to where we are, and the pastor takes the word of God and he says, now this is God's thought. These are God's thoughts. And we apply them to life. And really the work of the pastor is constantly to be changing people's minds. And that's an impossible work. You can't you can't change anybody's mind. You can make people agree with you by coercion. You could say, hey, I'll pay you a thousand dollars if you'll if you'll do this plan that I give you, and if you'll do this every day of your life, I'll give you a hundred dollars every day, and you could get people to to, uh, to do things for you, but it doesn't really mean their mind has changed. They're just doing it for the money. Or maybe they just are in some predicament where you've got maybe them under your thumb, and so they come around to, quote, seeing it your way. But to really change someone's mind, that takes a work of God, and the Bible will do that with humble people. And the pastor's job, it's an impossible job apart from God. It's changing people's minds to get all the minds conformed to this mind, the mind of Christ, and to get the church to be one voice, one mind, glorifying one God, and especially in the United States of America, where we pride ourselves on rugged individualism, and nobody's going to tell me how to think, and nobody's going to tell me how to vote, nobody's going to tell me what to do, don't tread on me, and yet in the church of the living God, under Christ the King, we are His ambassadors and His embassy, and we've got to get it together, but it's not about everybody seeing it Pastor Byler's way, or Brother Bobby's way, or Brother Smith's way, it's about everybody seeing it God's way. So we're all just coming to a unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace and agreement with the Word of God. And so the the pastor, that's his constant uh, job. That's his assignment. That that is his calling. And that's his giftedness. So he's walking in the Spirit, preaching the Word of God, and leading the church of God. And he says, I I believe that that it would be good for you to come and exhort us for a few nights. So I come here not to tell you, oh, uh, be sure and sign up on my Facebook. I don't have it anyway. Just making things up. Be sure to get on my blog. I don't have one. Uh, be sure to get on this and be sure to follow me here and click yes on that. And be sure to buy all my books and pamphlets. Don't have them, you know. But it's not about that. It's not, I'm not saying everybody line up so I can sign your Bible or anything like that at all. But to say I'm here to help the church by helping the pastor. And what will help the church and the pastor? Preach the word. Preach the word of God. So that's what we're doing. And there's a church in Maine that loves you. They love this church, Lighthouse Baptist Church. And actually, the Lord has let the Midcoast Baptist Church play a part in even the founding of this church, praise the Lord. Uh, Much prayer, much giving over the years. And when you went through, what I would guess was your most difficult time, one of our pastors came here to help and uh, nearly was killed, but the Lord saw him through. And, you know, that's all okay. He, He would do it again. We would absolutely do it again. He would do it again. The Lord allowed me to come down years ago and help out for a week in the teaching of uh, a young man at the time who was not ordained, but your missionary, Evan Francis. We taught through 1 Timothy that week, and I've been here, I guess, for a missions conference and a few other times, and, and our church has invested a lot of prayer, time, energy, and money in those because we love you folks, and we know you love us as well, and we're glad that we have the fellowship of the gospel. Together. So we're in the book of John. And John, of course, I didn't mention this last night, but John very plainly shows us why John was written. Some books of the Bible, it's just spelled out so easily the purpose of that book. Others you have to really look and study and and do a lot of research and and a lot of prayer and, and and then finally you see, oh, this is this is really the theme. But John is so plainly shown us in the book of John, chapter 20, and verse 31. That this book is written that we might know, that we might believe with absolute assurance and confidence to the point of commitment. That's, That's the word believe there. That we might believe that, let me say that again, that we might be absolutely sure with absolute confidence to the point of commitment. That's gospel belief. That's a lot different than nod three times if you believe you're a sinner and you believe Jesus is the only way and if you want to go to heaven when you die. Nod three times, pray after me being absolutely persuaded, I know whom I have believed and I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed, that's me, unto him against that day. So John's written that we might believe that Jesus, this man Jesus of Nazareth, is the Christ. He's the anointed of God. He's the Messiah. He is the Christ who will one day rule and reign over the entire world and deliver up the kingdom to the Father. John's written that we might believe that Jesus is the Christ, and that you'd really know who Jesus really is, so you're not led astray by a false idea of Jesus, a false Christ. You've got the Roman Catholic Jesus, the Mormon Jesus, the, you've got the Jesus of the Muslims, you've got the Jesus of Hollywood, you've got the Jesus of a lot of uh, shallow Christianity in our country, and all over the Bible Belt. You've got the Jesus that just kind of the the door, you know, you ring the doorbell and he comes running to give you what you want for the day. You've got all these imaginary Jesus. Someone said to me once, how many do you think there are? I said about seven billion, About, about one for every person on earth. I've got my concept of Jesus, but there's no concept of Jesus. He is who he is. You can think whatever you want about Jesus, but he is actually who he is. And you have to believe on the actual Jesus. John shows you who he is. He's the Son of God, the Christ, the Son of God. And then believing we might have life through his name, John 20, 31. John would would have been originally written, I'm convinced, originally written to the churches of Asia Minor, who John the Apostle witnessed to so much and ministered to so much, so that they would be sure that they actually knew Jesus and they would accurately preach him as they evangelized. And then, of course, he wrote 1 John, 2 John, 3 John. And 1 John reads like it's just the Gospel of John, and then here would be the, the next, uh, what you need to know after the Gospel of John. So you read 1 John, then Second and Third. So in John chapter 13, last night, we saw Jesus' love for the church. How do we see his love on display here? He washed their feet. He worked through a misunderstanding with one of the church members, and he warned of Judas' uncleanness. And we see that in verses 1 through 11. Now tonight we'll read 12 to 20, and we will see in this passage, Jesus is Master and Lord. Jesus is Master and Lord. And as Master, He taught them, and as Lord, He told them what they ought to do and gave them a definite promise, which you can do if you're the Lord. Those of us that are not the Lord, we can say, I promise, but it's always predicated on Lord willing, Lord willing. Family, we're going to do such and such tomorrow if the Lord permits. We shouldn't use that as as a cop-out or a way to never really commit to anything. That's not the idea at all that James was presenting. Never commit to anything, so just always say, Lord willing, and then you don't have to commit. That's not it. I am committed to taking care of this instance or taking you to this place or being at this place on time or whatever, but Lord willing because, hey, you know, things can happen. Circumstances can be beyond our control. But is there any circumstance beyond the Lord's control? And so he can give a definite promise as he does in verse uh, 17. If you know these things, happy or blessed or well off are ye if you do them. So let's read this passage. And first I'm going to make my way down to the second row. Don't be nervous. I'm not going to lay hands on anybody. Nobody's going to speak in tongues. Just going to get my water. John chapter 13, verse 12. So after he had washed their feet and had taken his garments and was set down again, he said unto them, Know ye what I have done to you? Ye call me master and lord, and ye say, Well, for so I am. If I then, your lord and master, Have washed your feet, ye also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that ye should do as I have done to you. Verily, verily, I say unto you, verily, verily. The Greek word there is amen, amen, which kind of sounds like exactly what we say. Amen, amen. When Jesus says, Truly, truly, amen, amen, verily, verily, we should be all ears. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord, neither he that is sent greater than he that sent him. If ye know these things, happy are ye if ye do them. I speak not of you all, I know whom I have chosen but that the scripture may be fulfilled. He that eateth bread with me hath lifted up his heel against me. Now I tell you before it come, it come, that when it has come to pass, when the betrayal has come to pass, ye may believe that I am he. Verily, verily, again, when Jesus says verily, verily, we better pay attention, better really get this, better pay attention to all the word of God. But when you see, for instance, the command, behold, that's a command in the Bible. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. Behold is a command. That's you look right here, and you you drink this in, and you focus on this. Verily, verily, when we see that, we better really pay attention. I say unto you, he that receiveth whomsoever I send receiveth me, and he that receiveth me receiveth him that sent me. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name we pray. That you would be glorified this evening in helping me to preach, in edifying and building up your church through the Word of God. I pray that you'll help me to preach in demonstration of the Holy Spirit and of power. I pray that you'd fulfill all of your good pleasure and the work of faith with power. I pray that you'd please give me utterance and boldness and wisdom to preach the Word. And may the Word of God be received with meekness. And Lord, I pray that you'd rebuke the devil and any design that the devils of hell have in hurting or interfering or snatching away the Word of God from our hearts. May we truly receive the Word by having it enter into our hearts by laying hold on it and then transferring to actual doing and being. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Remember that the twelve at the supper were debating about who was the greatest among them. And as they were debating and having the strife, Jesus rose up, laid aside His garments, put on the slave's towel, and proceeded to do the lowest and the dirtiest work of the most menial slave in a household at that time. He washed their feet. Now we see Jesus, after He is done with us, He puts back on His garments, He sits down, and as Master and Lord, we see Him first promote humility. He's Master and Lord, but He promotes humility. Secondly, prophesies of Judas' betrayal. He promoted humility, prophesied of Judas' betrayal, and number three, promised his authority to his sent ones. He promised his authority to his sent ones. You see him promoting humility in verses 12 to 17. He begins with this question, and he's pointing out the work he had just done. Now, this is a very... This is a knife's edge that you walk if you're a teacher, a preacher, a parent, a leader of any type, to promote humility by pointing to something that you just did. you got to be real careful with that, don't you? Jesus is wisdom personified. He can do this and do it flawlessly. Jesus is promoting humility by pointing out the work he had just done. And the work he had just done, remember, was humble work. It was the humblest work of the lowliest household slave. He asked the question, Know ye what I have done to you? Now let's make a point here about this and let's get a hold of this. Some people say that if you're a good leader, you just do. You don't talk, you don't point anything out about what you've done, you just do. But is there any better than leader than Jesus Christ? No way there's any better leader than Jesus Christ. And Jesus behaved humbly, but then he did appropriately speak in a way to ensure they would actually learn from what he did. And this is important. The Apostle Paul was a humble man of God. He was a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he did God's will, but he also promoted doing God's will with his words. And for instance, he said this in the book of Philippians, Those things which ye have both learned, and received, and heard, and seen in me. Why that's risky. What you've seen me do. I'm using me as an example right now, Paul's saying. We have to be careful with that. But you can't say it's unbiblical for someone to do that when Jesus did it and Paul did it. As a leader... You have to be very careful pointing out something you've done that you've done right. If you've done something right, it always has to be understood. At least, even if you don't speak it, you have to at least acknowledge it to the Lord. It's only by the grace of God. It's God that worketh in me to will and to do of His good pleasure. Amen? He that hath begun a good work in me will perform it unto the day of Christ. By grace, I am what I am, and I do what I do. I often say... Anything that's wrong, anything that's unbiblical, anything that's out of line, it's 100% my fault. I can't blame my parents. I can't blame my wife. I can't blame my children. I can't blame other preachers. I can't blame the church. It's me. Anything I get right, that's God's fault, and I give God the praise. But Paul said, those things which you've both learned and received and heard and seen in me, do, and the God of peace shall be with you. And Jesus said, do you see what I just did to you? And so, let's learn a lesson from this. It is proper for parents, for teachers, for preachers, for pastors to behave in a way that can be followed and to appropriately say at times, to ask the question, are you seeing what I'm doing? Because you need to not only hear my voice, you need to see what I'm doing and you need to follow me as I follow Christ. And some of these, quote, leadership gurus, they have their books and their articles and their blogs and everything, and some of them would say that's terrible leadership, to point out, this is what I've done. But you see, because I'm a Bible-believing Christian, I'm not into the gurus anyway. I'm not following some family guru, some homeschooling guru, some money guru. I'm not following some leadership guru, any of that. I'm set in a church, and in the church of the living God, I learn from the Word of God how to live in a way that pleases God. That's how they did it in the New Testament, and that's what we need. And I have read in my time, I've read some books on leadership and all, and brother, almost every one of them say, they don't say don't do it the Bible way, but their little mantras and their axioms don't line up with the Bible. You know, some of them will say, never let them see you sweat. Never let them see you sweat. Jesus said more than once, my soul is troubled. My soul is exceeding troubled. (gasps) That's poor leadership. You should have nothing but raw confidence. Paul said he was cast down. Paul said he was in the depths of despair. (laughs) Amen? David, God's man, with a heart for God and king of Israel and the shepherd of Israel, he talked at times about his soul being disquieted and cast down. Leadership gurus say never let them see you sweat. Always show this great confidence and all. And so uh, let's go with what the Bible says about everything as opposed to what maybe some book says or some guru says. Now, there's an appropriate way to help anyone that you have authority with. Parents helping children, husband leading wife, pastor leading a church. It's, It's really like this. If we can truly say, I love you, I want to help you, I want you to know blessedness. Jesus goes on to say, if you know these things, happy or blessed are you if you do them. If the attitude is, I'm trying to help you, so I want you to pay attention, and I want you to see what I'm doing by the grace of God for the glory of God, that's absolutely appropriate. And I'm saying that because uh, some of our young people here tonight, you may sometimes, when your mom or your dad says to you, hey, listen, you need to be like me and do things this way. You might sometimes think, well, well, Dad sounds proud. Well, Dad sounds like, you know, uh, like he thinks he's got it all down. No, it's not that at all. But where we're doing things biblically, it's appropriate for us to say, do you see how we're doing it? That's what you need to do. My, I can remember with my dad, I can remember being 18 years old, my dad would say, son, do you see how we have left enough time that if we have a flat tire on the way to church, we won't be late? He would say that. He'd say, do you see how we have enough time that if we have a flat tire on Sunday morning, we'll have enough time to change that flat tire and still be on time to church? He'd point those things out to me. We would go to a restaurant and we'd eat a meal, and he'd say, son, do you see that I'm leaving a generous tip for the waitress? And he'd say, Bobby, if you don't have enough money to leave a tip, then you don't have enough money to eat in a restaurant where they're supposed to be, uh, where you're supposed to tip the waitresses. He would point things out. Not boasting and bragging, I've got it all together. I'm the greatest man that ever lived, and, you know, and you're lucky that I'm your dad. It wasn't like that, but teaching by example and by word. And so Jesus is promoting humility. He just washes the feet. He talks about Judas' uncleanness. He works through Peter's problem, and then he says, do you all see what I did? That's important because a lot of times we miss a lot of things. And sometimes your pastor might say, folks, this is what I did, and this is why I did it. And it's not that he's wanting to be arrogant and said, "I'm the greatest example that's ever lived," but that it's actually a biblical way of teaching. Now, I get a little weary of some guys. I mean, man, I want everyone—you know—I want everyone in the world to know by Facebook and Twitter and all that I gave away three tracks this week and I fed two homeless people and all. You know, and I'm just so honored and humbled that I could do that. You know what humble bragging is, right? That's a new thing nowadays. It's not a new thing, but it's a new term nowadays to describe it. Oh, I'm just so humbled and honored that I just finished reading through the Bible for the 3,000th time. Uh, it can get sketchy, some of this. But we can appropriately say, do you see what I'm doing? Follow me as I follow Christ. Understand it? Jesus is promoting humility as master, as teacher, and as Lord and then Jesus reminded them of his position. He said, ye call me master and lord, and ye say well. That's right. It's good for you to call me master and lord. That's right. That's well. That's well doing to say that. For so I am. They did recognize him as master. The word master there is didaskalos. That's the teacher. It's and in the indoctrinator. He's saying you're you call me the indoctrinator, and that's who Jesus is. You ever hear these people who say, oh, I'm a Christian, but I'm just not into all that doctrine and everything and fighting over doctrine and all that, you know. A guy said to my dad years ago. Dad was a very young preacher. And this guy said, that's the trouble with you, Baptists. You're, it's doctrine, doctrine, doctrine. And my dad said, what, what else is left? If we don't have doctrine, what do we have? Jesus said, the doctrine I received of my father, I've transferred it to you, to the apostles. And the apostles have given us their doctrine. You take away the doctrine, what is there? This book is doctrine. Solomon said, I give you good doctrine, forsake ye not my law. Moses said, my doctrine shall drip down as the dew of heaven. I mean, it is doctrine, it's teaching. People don't want doctrine today. People want relativism. Well, what are the circumstances? How do you understand it? What does it mean to you? What do you think about it? What is your truth? What is your truth? That's perverted to talk that way. There is truth and there is error. But Jesus was the indoctrinator, the didaskalos, the teacher. And by the way, that's what pastors do. We teach doctrine. And every member of the church is to receive doctrine and then be transferring the doctrine we have learned from the scriptures through our pastors. Amen. We are a people of sound doctrine. So they said, you are Lord. He said, you call me master, teacher, indoctrinator. Amen, I am. And he said, you call me Lord, Lord, the one that owns, the one that has absolute control, the one who is king. You call me Lord, and so I am. Now, again, Jesus just said, did you see what I did? Some people would say, that's bad leadership to point out what you did. Just do it. But Jesus did it, and it was necessary because they might miss it, because they're all arguing over who's the greatest, and they're kind of stressed out, and, you know, things are very dark at this time, and they're under a lot of pressure. These guys are they're going through a lot of trouble. They, they went to Jerusalem figuring he's going to die, and we're all going to die. They've been awake for many hours. Much is going on, and so don't miss this. Did you see what I did? And now he says, and leadership experts would say, this is bad leadership. Hey, I'm the Lord and Master. You know what some people will say, brother? You should never have to tell your family, hey, I'm dad. I'm in charge. They say, if you're a good leader, you'd never have to say that. Well, why did Jesus point it out sometimes? Why did Moses point it out sometimes? Why did Paul say sometimes, "I'm, I'm the apostle of Christ, and you need to stop all your craziness and pay attention to what I'm telling you? He had to speak that way to Corinth, didn't he? Now, the church at Philippi, Paul didn't have to speak that way. He just said to them, Paul, a servant because they were not in all kinds of contention with him. It is totally appropriate appropriate for Jesus at this time to say, I am your master and Lord, and you need to get what I'm saying. Just like it's appropriate for Brother Hoyle sometimes to say, listen up, guys, I'm your father. I'm your father. And sometimes you guys might hear your dad say that, and you might have heard someone else say, well, a good father doesn't have to remind that he's father. He just is a father. No, it's appropriate sometimes to say, I'm your dad. You need to pay attention to what I'm telling you. And you as children should say, amen, that's true. I need that. Sometimes a husband and wife in a good marriage, a good loving relationship, even so, sometimes a husband might need to say, darling, I am your husband. I am under the headship of Jesus Christ, and I am your head according to the Bible. And I'm telling you that because I love you and I'm trying to help you with this. And a lady should not respond with, well, if you're a good husband, you wouldn't need to remind me of that. You'd just be a great leader. You shouldn't be that way. You shouldn't think that way. Jesus said what he said here, and Paul spoke that way uh, when it's appropriate. I say appropriate because it shouldn't be that every day we wake up and we announce, "I'm the man of this house." Let's get that straight. Now I'm going to find my easy chair, and I expect breakfast, and I expect a foot massage, and I, you know, and I expect. It it shouldn't be that way. We shouldn't have a mentality. Notice, as Jesus is saying, do you see what I'm doing, and do you know who I am? Notice, he's also washing their feet, and he's serving them, and he's going to the cross for them. So it's not anything like the famous person that goes to the restaurant and says, don't you know who I am? Give me a table. Give me a place at the front of the line. It's not like that, but appropriately saying, you need to follow me because of who I am. We would say by the grace of God. And so Jesus, as Lord and Master, points out the work he has just done. He's promoting humility, pointing out the work he's done, and reminding them of his position. It is appropriate and biblical for leaders, when necessary, to remind of their God-given position. If your pastor ever does that, it's not selfish Puffed up, it's not self-promoting, and I'll. It's saying I'm trying to help the church. I have a dear friend right now in New Hampshire, and he he had to have a, his Sunday morning service was was just that, just this last week. He he basically had to just say, folks. Do I have to remind you who your pastor is? Do we have to? Do I have to remind you how God set this up? Do I have to remind you from Scripture how it's going to be? And he did that, and I'm praying, and he's praying, and we're all praying. All of us that are that know of this situation and praying and helping, we're all hoping that they get it together and they acknowledge that, and there's some humility, and there's a coming together and serving God as their ought. It, it wouldn't be good if every week a pastor had to do that, but sometimes it's necessary. Jesus is promoting humility. And then he promoted humble service and promised happiness to those who would follow his example. As the master and teacher, he taught by example and word. Somebody said years ago, more is caught than taught. Let's just let that rattle around in your head for a second. Parents, think about that. More is caught by our children than what we teach them. And so, my dad used to say, and, I, and for a long time as a kid, I couldn't understand what this meant. He'd say, Your walk talks and your talk talks, but your walk talks louder than your talk talks. And to me, it just sounded like green eggs and ham or something, you know? <laughs> Hop on pop. (laughs) And then one day I actually stopped and thought about it. Isn't it amazing when we stop and think about something? And I remember thinking, is it I think I was in my teens, your walk talks. The way you walk, the way you live talks. And your talk, the way you talk talks. Oh. Your speaking talks. But your walk, the way you live, talks louder. Then your talk talks. Oh, that did make sense. And we don't say, well, then all we do is live it, and then people will be saved. That's not true. The Bible says preach the word. The Bible says give the gospel. There was a so-called church father, a false church father, many, many centuries ago, that said preach the gospel, use words when necessary. Now, doesn't that just sound so, you know, these little stupid bumper sticker theology things. Oh, that sounds so good. Preach the gospel. Use words when necessary. Well, that's a lie because the gospel is words, and you do give the words, and there's power in the gospel, preaching the gospel, speaking the gospel. But it is true that if you speak the gospel nonstop and you live like a reprobate, your talk's talking, or your walk is talking louder than your talk is talking. And so Jesus is Master and Lord He is teaching and promoting this humble service by example and by word. Parents have to teach with creed and deed. We said last night, and I borrowed that from another source, but creed and deed, the preaching and the practice, the word and the walk. We all teach that way. Jesus, as the master teacher, reminds them of a simple truth. What do teachers do? Teachers just take truth, and they... Try to put it very simply, and they're teaching basic life's lessons and basic math lessons and basic history lessons and all. And so Jesus took a simple, what we call axiomatic truth. It's just an indisputable fact of life. It's self-evident reality. And what does he say? Verily, verily, I say unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord. I mean, that's kind of like, duh. Yeah, the servant is not greater than his Lord, right? But Jesus is the master teacher, and he used very simple axioms at times to get the truth across. The servant is not greater than his Lord. Neither he that is sent, an ambassador, is not greater than the one that sent him. Who's greater? The president or the ambassador the president sends? And so very simple truth, Jesus is a teacher. He's, he's saying, look what I've done. And then he gives them very basic truth because he wants them to learn of humility. He's teaching them. And you can definitely see then in this lesson, you call Jesus Master and Lord, but you won't wash each other's feet, and he does. You see it? I just washed their feet. You won't do that, but you call me Master and Lord. If you're not learning from him, why do you call him Master? Brother, I, I almost preached one time a sermon. Why call ye me pastor, pastor, and do not the things that I say? Several years ago, there was a time that sermon was needed in our church. It was almost needed, but the Lord helped and some things got right and all. But yeah, why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things that I say? Or why call ye me pastor, pastor, and not accept the food I, te- I uh, <clears throat> serve you? Not eat of the green grass I'm leading you to, and drink of the still waters. And so Jesus is teaching them. He uses a very simple truth and he says, you see what I've done, follow my example. Ye also ought to wash one another's feet. Now I see there him being Lord. You ought to do this. You ought to do this. You should do as I have done to you. Now I want you to catch something because we can miss this. Ye also ought to wash. What's the next two words? One another's. I want everyone to say that out loud, please. One another's. You also ought to wash one another's feet. Now, why do I say it that way? Because sometimes in our fleshly thinking and in our pride and in our foolishness, we'll get an attitude like this Well, I'm happy to help the church, but I'm all done dealing with her. I'm happy. To serve and to give, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll work through church problems and all, but I'm done with that guy. I, I'm just all done with him. No, he said one another's. It's not just I'll serve the church collectively as a body. Well, Brother Hoyle, well, I, I could do this as a pastor. Hey, I'll preach the word to the church. I'll preach the word, I'll administer the ordinances, and I'll lead the church and all, but uh, I'm all done with trying to help people one-on-one because they're driving me crazy. Can't do it. You ought also to wash one another's feet. You ever read over in Ephesians five where Paul said, "So ought everyone to love his wife." In particular, why did he get that? Why did he get that? You know, definite about it? Because I think some of those guys are just like some of us guys, <clears throat> and they might have read where Paul said, "Husbands love your wives," and that's just kind of big and vague, you know. Okay, as long as some of the husbands are loving their wives, you know, our church is doing pretty good here. And he says, oh, no, no, every one of you love his wife in particular. There's no wiggle room now. Every man in the church is to love his wife as Christ loved the church. We're not okay if five of the men in the church are loving the wife, his wife, like Christ loved the church, but two of them act like reprobates toward their wives. That's not okay. Standard as every husband in the church must love his wife as Christ loves the church. Amen? So you also ought to wash one another's feet. Ye should do, he said, as I have done to you. He's the teacher, teaching by example and teaching by word, using a very basic truth they could all understand. And then as the Lord, ye ought to do this. And then as the Lord, he made them this definite promise. If ye know these things, happy are ye if ye do them. Let's let's take a minute and look at that promise. A lot of these promises in the Bible, you know, we we hear them all our lives and oh, man, it's a promise from God. Hallelujah. And we grab onto that. Every promise in the book is mine, brother, amen. Well, not really. Like there's promises to wicked people in the book. There's promises that you're gonna get thrown in the lake of fire, you know. <laughs> so not every promise in the book is mine. Not every promise in the book is for every, even all the promises that are potential for Christians are not for all Christians. Not every promise in the book is for everybody on earth. You ever been to a funeral where they didn't bring out Psalm 23? I haven't been to one yet. I've been to funerals of people as wicked as a day is long. Died, went to hell, and the preacher stands up and says, let's all find encouragement in Psalm 23. That's not for everybody. That's for the sheep of the shepherd who actually hear his voice and follow him. This promise its a wonderful promise. We ought to understand it. First he says, if ye know these things. Then he says, happier ye if ye do them. So the, the first if, it is important to know this. this. This is kind of a little technical. It's probably not over anybody's head here, but in, it might be over one or two. And if it is, just learn. It's good for us to learn. This first if is what's called a first-class conditional if. In other words, we use it like the word, since. Like, I will say sometimes, hey, Bobby, if, if you're a Mitchell man, then you're going to do things this way. And I'm not saying if you are. I don't know if you are or not. I don't know. I mean, you look at him and look at me. What do you think? Right? It's, it's pretty settled, all right? If you are. I want you to look back at verse 14. If I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet. Was Jesus saying, I'm not sure if I washed your feet. But if I have, was he saying that? No. No, it's a first-class conditional. If. And so it's if I then or since I then, your Lord, Master, wash your feet. Verse 17, since ye know these things, if ye know these things, if you know these things and you do, then happy are ye if ye do them. And that second if is what's called a third-class conditional. And that's potential. You may or may not. It may or may not be that you do them. You understand the difference? It's simple, isn't it? If you know these, and you do, happy are ye if, if, we'll see, if you do them. But there's some more to know about this promise that's important. He said, if you know these things, happy are ye if you do them. The word know, the tense of this word reveals that we should understand that this know is knowing as in it's a settled matter. Since you know these things, and you, and you know them. You have known them, and because you know them the way you know them, you're never going to unknow them. It's permanent. You know this is true. You know Jesus is Master and Lord. You know his love, you know his service, you know his humility, you know you should follow his example, you know the servant is not greater than the Lord, and you know that he that is sent is not greater than he that has sent him. You know all this, and you don't need to re-examine that every day of your life and rework it every day. You know it's a true, you know it's the facts, you know it's the truth. And since you know these things, we live in a day when uncertainty is lifted up as a great virtue. And there are some things we're definitely uncertain about. We don't know about tomorrow, but we do know who holds tomorrow. So we don't know about tomorrow, but we know God's in charge. A lot of Christianity today is false Christianity, and it's built upon everything's being uncertain. You can't be sure of any interpretation. Hey, they're not even sure which Bible's the Bible, which words are really God's words and all. Folks, you need to have some things settled. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Christ. Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus died on the cross for our sins. Jesus rose from the grave. Amen. Jesus is coming back before the great tribulation. Amen. You know, and we know what the Bible says. Jesus is saying, if you know these things and these are settled, you know this is true. Then he gives this promise happy, or another word for that is blessed or well off. Blessed of God. Happy are ye. People want to be happy today, but they don't even know what happiness is. I heard a preacher years ago say, happiness is never found in the pursuit thereof. That's pretty profound, isn't it? I just want to be happy. If that's all you want, guess what? You're not going to be happy. I'm just pursuing happiness. You're not going to get it. Jesus shows us here, happy are ye if you you know these things, and you do these things, there's blessedness, there's happiness. But you have to understand something. When he said, if you know these things, happier ye, if you do them, the do there, that is a present tense do, which very simply means this. It's It's not like you can say, okay, I know these things, humility, service, being kind, being forgiving, working through problems. I get it. And I did that. I did that 10 years ago. I had an issue with someone and we sat down and we worked through it. So how come I'm not happy and blessed? It's pre- it's ongoing. It's lifestyle. It is who you are. It's the way you live. Happy are ye if ye do them. And this is a big topic, and I can't go really into it too far, but a lot of times Christians, we're messing up because we're making everything a list of, well, I don't do this, and I do this, and I don't do this, and I don't do this, and I do this, and I do this. And we're getting away from, like Paul said, be filled with the Spirit. Be, it's be rejoicing. It's be loving other people. It's be serving. It is being. God could say, I know this, I know this, I know this, I know this. And he does say that. And God can say, I do this, I do this. And he does say that. But when he really describes himself to Moses, he doesn't say, I do, 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 I don't, don't, don't. He says, I am that I am. See, God is just always being God. So that's why he doesn't look on iniquity, and that's why he doesn't do any perversion, injustice, and that's why he only does right. He is being what he is, who he is. And so when Jesus says, happy are ye if ye do them, it's not I used to do it, well, I might do it. It's all the time because I'm not doing Christianity. I am a Christian. I'm being what I am. Brother Hoyle, Are you trying to act like a hoyle, or are you, you're a (laughs) hoyle. You are what you are. I'm not trying to act like an American. I am an American. You understand that? If I live my life trying to, I need to act like a preacher, I need to act like a preacher. I am a preacher. I am a Christian, amen? I am a man. It's not that I'm trying to pretend a man, or make sure I do certain things so that I can come across as a man. I am a man. I need to be what I am. Be a husband. Be a wife. Be a child. Be a preacher. Be a gospel witness. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. You understand that? And I'm not going to go any further than that. That's a big conversation. It's an important topic, but I'm not going further with it tonight. But it's, if you know these things, since you know these things, this humility and the service and all, then blessed are ye... If ye do them, it's your lifestyle. You're a church member. You don't decide, well, you know what? I'm going to stay in church one more week and stay at it. And I'll see you next week if I'll stay one more week. And then the next week I'll see if I, I'm going to tithe and keep giving to missions. And then I'll, no, settle what you are and be that. You are Lighthouse Baptist Church, amen? You are Bible-believing Christians. You are givers. You are saved by the grace of God and if you know these things, and happy are ye if you're just behaving as you are. Lifestyle, on and on, present tense. It's your conversation. It's your way of life. Jesus is your master and Lord. You are doing his will of loving the church as he loves the church. You're humbling yourself and serving one another. And he gives this promise, happy are ye. And he can give the promise. There's a condition. You know and you do. And, and, and notice he didn't say if you know these things. Happy are ye if you just stand up and talk about it. Happy are ye if you blog about it. Happy are ye if you memorize the verses. Hey, I memorized John 13, so I got it. No, happy are ye if ye do them. Do them. It's know and it's do. And there is a great gap today in so many places between knowing and doing. The knowing and doing gap. You know what a lot of pastoral counseling is? It's people telling you their sin is their struggle in their mind, whatever, and the pastor just telling them what they already know. Matter of fact, sometimes I just say, if I was in the same predicament, what would you tell me to do? And they tell me, and I say, that's excellent. I cannot tell you anything better than that because you just told me what the Bible says. That's excellent. Okay, do that. Put it into practice. One time I went to a pastor friend years ago, and I said, I got this problem, I got this, and I'm crying and everything. And he said, well, Bobby, he said, if I told you the same exact thing, you'd, you'd sit there and in five minutes you'd tell me how I need to think differently about it and deal with it and confess it to God and all. And he said, why don't you just tell yourself what you already know and do that. And guess what? He was right. Amen. You can know and not do, and there's not blessedness if you don't do it. Know and do. We know how to praise God. We know how to give thanks. The Bible shows us how to pray. We know how to think. We know how to humble ourselves. We know how to say, I'm sorry. We know. If, if I do something amiss to Brother Byler, and he says to me, Brother, that's offensive to me. You've hurt me. I know how to say, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Brother Hoyle, if I say something like, well, brother, I want you to know I'm sorry you took it that way. I know that's not really saying, I'm sorry, please forgive me. Amen? Or if I say something like, well, brother, I'm really sorry that happened. That's not saying, I'm sorry, please forgive me. That's some nebulous that happened. You know that? Or if I say, well, brother, I'm sorry that it came across that way. I'm still not there. Or I'm sorry, brother, that that you think that. Everybody in this room knows how to say, I am sorry, please forgive me. But how often does our flesh fight against us doing that simple, that simple little bit of humility? But if you know these things, happy are ye if ye do them. Amen? Are the kids confused? as to what it means to obey dad and mom. Dad says, be in bed under your covers at 9 o'clock. Go to sleep. Could I just have that spelled out with some more information? I don't know if I'm clear on this. Is there any small print here? Could you run that by my people? And my people will talk to your people. You know how to obey. And when you don't obey... It's rebellion and it's ungodly. And if you really truly aren't sure about how to obey, then it's up to you to say, Dad, Mom, I get it that you want this or don't, but I'm not sure how to really do your will in that. It's up to you to say that and let your parents then tell you. The knowing doing gap is a it's a sad matter. And James said, If you know all this and you don't do it, you're deceiving yourself. And so Jesus is Lord, and He is Master. And as Master and Lord, He promoted humility. He reminded of His position, and he, he pointed out what He did, and He promoted humble service, and He promoted happiness to those who actually follow, actually living, follow His example. Actually doing it. Actually is an important word. Like it starts out with a little word, act, doesn't it? You actually do it. You actually do it. He gives a promise, and as Lord, he can promise. And you might, and we're going to stop there tonight, you might be doubting and sometimes and thinking, I know what the Bible says. Get a hold of this, friends. I know, I know what it says. I know what Jesus wants me to do. And I know he said, happy am I if I do it, but I just don't see how it's going to work out. I don't see how it's going to, how it's going to all pan out. I just We have got to stop thinking about, what if this, and what if that, and say, what is written what is living by faith is saying what is written that's what i'll do so i know it jesus promised i'll be blessed i'll be happy i'll be well off if i do what i know from his word i know what his word teaches i'm set in his church i've heard it preached and taught i understand hey if you don't understand something you can ask and learn and grow but where we know we know it and now we actually do it but, oh, I'm just afraid, and I, I just feel like if I obey, it's all going to blow up in my face, and everyone's going to be upset, and I'm going to get hurt, and it's going to cause a problem with them or them or, or my boss. or I, I don't, How am I going to have enough money, and how am I going to Can we trust the Lord? We call Him Master and Lord. Can we trust Him? Can we do His will? We know it, do it. Am I sure he'll keep his promise? Every promise of his is yea and in him, amen. He doesn't even have to say, if circumstances permit, you will be blessed. Now, you may be blessed in prison, like Paul. I'm not going to lie to you. The Bible shows this. You might be blessed as you're dragged behind horses, like some of those people, Hebrews 11, run through with spears, sawn asunder. Some of our forefathers drowned in baptistries, but you're still blessed. The Bible says so. If we've got a home on the other side, and we're going to be there forever and glorify Him, and it's going to be good. It's going to be very good. So even if men revile you and persecute you, jump up and down and praise God because you, Jesus said there, in the Beatitudes, blessed, 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 blessed. Amen? Jesus is Master and Lord. So follow His example. Learn from him and take him at his word. If you know these things, happy are ye if you do them. Let's bow our heads.